morning, Faith family. If you have a Bible, go to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, we started uh, three weeks ago a series called The Runaway, and we're going verse by verse through this Old Testament book called Jonah. But oftentimes, a lot of us as kids kind of know as a Sunday school story, almost like a children's nursery rhyme, but yet we are uncovering the depths of the truth that God has revealed through this great Old Testament narrative. And my prayer is, is that it will awaken us and revive us uh, to the truth of the gospel. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks or you've been following online, there are two primary images you should have in your mind right now. Out of week one, we saw that sin is seen in the book of Jonah and elsewhere in the Bible as running from God. Now, sometimes that's external, that is outward behavior, and sometimes it's internal. Jonah's problem really is first and foremost a problem with the heart. You can run with your feet and you can run with your heart. In both ways, running from God is sin. The next image we should have in our mind is the grace of God because God pursues runaways. And sometimes he does that softly and gently, and other times he does it in a storm, a violent storm, which we saw last week. Now the question for us is, how do we respond to that? You ever found yourself in a storm? How do you respond in the storms of life um, properly as the storm is intended to do, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. So let's look at Jonah 1. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word, convinced that this is God's authoritative Word. Here's what it says to us this morning. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we will not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we'll know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, well, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them, and they said to him, what shall we do that the sea will quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this tempest is, has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, and they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's God's word. Would you pray with me? 
God, we do ask that you would revive us again, that you would renew a right spirit in us. Um, Spirit, come and do your work, the work that only you can do. Um, I hope that we will see ourselves in this text this morning, but for our eyes to see, uh, we need the Spirit to come and to open our eyes. To the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. He'd heard cuss words before, but not like this. He'd heard them in the locker room. He heard them in the hallway at school. He heard them in a lot of the movies that he watched. But he had never heard cuss words come from the mouth of his grandmother. And it bothered him. Because she was, after all, that that sweet grandmother who always had cookies made for him, would take him to church when he was a, a little boy. I mean, she was the kind that never had a negative word to say about anybody. For heaven's sake, she washed his mouth out with soap when he said things like, darn it, or stupid, or shut up. She was one of the most godly women he'd ever met. It's probably why it bothered him. As he sat there in that nursing home room, watching that same grandmother with dementia, scream obscenities at his grandfather as his grandfather patiently cared for her every need. And it bothered him. To the point that after he had heard about all that he could stand, he asked his grandfather to join him out in the hallway. He looked at his grandfather and he said, can you just stand there and listen to that? Do do you not hear what she's saying? Do you not hear what she's saying about you? And his grandfather just looked at him. And put his hand on his shoulder, looked him square in the eyes and said, Son, you got to learn to look past the disease and see the grandmother who loves you. That's really hard to do. That's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? To look past the moment you're in to look past what your eyes see, to look past the the present circumstance that you're in and to see that there's something behind it, that's hard. It's hard as a student, isn't it, to look past the assignment that's due tomorrow and see the value of learning. It's hard as a patient to look past the surgery that's coming up next week and see the healing that's going to come with it Every single one of us knows the difficulty of looking past the situation you see right in front of your eyes and see something behind it. That, dear friends, is exactly what's happening in Jonah chapter 1. These individuals, namely Jonah and the sailors, can't see God behind the storm because they've become obsessed and consumed in the storm. They can't see past it. 
all they can see is clouds and rain and waves. And it causes them to respond wrongly to the storm. Now, you remember why we're here in the first place, right? God comes to Jonah, and he gives him a gracious invitation to join God in the mission of God. But Jonah looks at God and says, no, thank you. He runs in the opposite direction. Why? Because he's mad at God. How could you be gracious to Ninevites? Or how could you even want to be? And so he's running in the opposite direction. But great news for you, God pursues runaways. God doesn't forsake those who have forsaken him. And so God comes by grace in a storm, a massive, terrifying storm. But what we see in this text is that they don't respond to the storm the way the storm was intended to bring about a response. And the same is true for us. So often in the storm, we have a tendency to run to the safety of idols. And we see that here in the text as the the storm is raging, these sailors are terrified. What do they do? do? Notice verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. Now look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we would not perish. How do they respond to the storm? They respond to the storm the exact same way you and I do. Namely, they run to someone or something that will promise them safety. And there are all kinds of things in this life that will say, hey, Come here, come here. If you'll just come to me, I'll keep you safe. If you'll just run to me for a little while, I will protect you. And I'm calling these idols. They are the idols of the heart, the things that the heart longs for and runs to instead of God because we can't see past the storm. And there are two different kinds. The first is this, religious idols. What's their first response? Prayer. Huh. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. If Jonah would wake up, we'd get him to pray to his God. Just somebody start praying. Why? Because nothing gets the prayer chain moving faster than a storm. Amen? And what's really interesting about this is the people who are starting the prayer party are pagan sailors. People who don't even have a covenant relationship with Yahweh, with God. Why is that? Look right here, dear friends, because deep down everybody's religious. Everybody worships something. They do. You heard it here first. There is no such thing as an atheist. What did he say? No, my neighbor says he's an atheist. Uh, the, 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 the person I work next to in my cubicle, she says she's an atheist. Listen, an atheist is nothing more than someone who knows there is a God, but has suppressed that truth so far down, they've convinced himself or herself it isn't true. And even if they tell you they do not believe in a God, make no mistake, when the storm clouds start rolling in, they'll find one. 
They may not call him a deity, but they'll go searching after a God, any God, who will keep me safe. It's like a true story I heard of a man who called a pastor in the middle of the night and said, you need to hurry up and get to the hospital. They've just told me I have a terminal disease. The pastor hurried up, got ready, went to the hospital, walked in the room. The man looked at the pastor and he said, I've got great news. The hospital accidentally got the charts mixed up. I don't have a terminal disease. I'm actually fine. So you can go on home because I'm not a religious man. You were five minutes ago. Have you ever noticed how people who have absolutely no relationship with God whatsoever in the midst of the storm will ask you to pray for them? Or if you ask them, can I pray for you? I've never had anybody say no. Do you remember what happened after 9-11? Churches were full of prayer meetings. Where's everybody now? You have to understand that in the midst of the storm, there are religious idols that will come to you and say, I'll keep you safe. And so you go to church a little more, you read your Bible a little more, you, you pray a little bit more, and you say, but you're, you're, you're being a little negative, Pastor. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that right here. Motivation. These sailors are not motivated to worship God. They're motivated by self-preservation. Translation, they don't want to die. They're not concerned about knowing God. What they're concerned about is getting out of the storm. It's why when the storm passes, so does your need for God. He got me out of jail free. Woohoo! I don't need him anymore. But it's not just religious forms. There are non-religious forms that do this as well. Here's what I mean right here, friends. It's, we don't always run to prayer or a Bible study or church. Sometimes we run to golf. I'm serious. Or the buffet. Or hours of TV. Or alcohol. Anything that promises you, come on in, I'll take your mind off the storm. And even though it doesn't feel religious, it is an act of worship. Here's the point, dear friends. When you can't see past the storm, when you're consumed in the storm and can't see God behind it, you will run to any idol that will promise you safety. But that's not the only response they do in the midst of the storm because they can't see past the storm. They also then try self-effort. It, it, it's kind of a natural flow of the text. It, it goes like this. Pray, 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 pray. Everybody, come on. Just pray to any God that will listen. Well, that's not going to work, so let's try it ourselves. You ever been there? Notice what they do in verse 7. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know. 
on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots, it fell on Jonah, and they said to him, so tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What country are you from? What people are you? Do you see what they're doing? They're saying, we tried the prayer thing. That didn't work out. So maybe if we get our questions answered, we'll figure our own way out. You ever felt like that in the storm? Like you had to know why? You had to know how long? You were searching for answers because you couldn't stand not knowing. I'll tell you who struggles with that, the person who's sitting right now in your seat. You'll get that in just a minute. Every one of us wants to know why. Somebody comes up to you and says this, I got something really important I got to tell you, but we'll talk later. Your response is, oh no, we're not talking later, we're talking now. We can't stand not to know. And sometimes in the storm, we just feel like if I could just research the internet, because we all know how reliable that is, if we could just get the right advice from a friend, if we could take a class, if we just had knowledge, we'd figure our own way out. And then that bleeds into actually taking control of the whole situation. Notice what they do in verse 5. It says, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. In other words, the problem isn't sin. The problem is the ship's just too heavy. The problem isn't that I need to trust God. The problem is I need to roll up my sleeves and work harder. In fact, that's exactly what they do because even after they find their answer, well, notice what they do in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Do you see that image, dear friend? The Hebrew says they dug their oars deeper. Picture that. They are trying so hard to figure out a way on their own. Why? Who needs a savior when you can save yourself? It's like the Wizard of Oz. You didn't see that transition coming, did you? I had you right here, and I was Wizard of Oz real quick. Do you remember the story? Dorothy is taken from her black and white world of Kansas into the multicolored world of Oz, and immediately she starts longing for home. She goes on a journey to the Emerald City to meet the wizard in hopes that he can grant her her wish. On the way, who does she meet? Three very interesting characters who have a desire of their own, and they think that maybe the wizard will grant their wish as well. Who were they? The scarecrow needed a brain. The tin man needed a heart. The lion needed courage. And so they're off to see the wizard. And when they get there, they are met by lights and smoke and this thunderous voice. And they are in awe of the presence of the wizard. That is until Dorothy's little dog runs over and pulls the curtain back. And lo and behold, the wizard is nothing but an old man pulling levers and pushing buttons. And then all of a sudden it becomes really clear. They didn't need the wizard. 
Because as they look back on their journey, the scarecrow demonstrated intelligence. The, the tin man had compassion. The lion had shown bravery. So the very thing they thought they needed, they already had. And the idea that they needed help from a higher power was foolishness preventing them from realizing where true power comes from within. I just ruined your children's Wizard of Oz story, didn't I? It is a parable of American individualism. We don't need God. We need to row harder. That'll solve our problems. But listen to me, dear friends. This do-it-yourself culture in which we live may be fine for small businesses and remodeled bathrooms, but spiritually it will destroy you because you can't get yourself out. Verse 13. They rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Why? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Don't you understand, dear friends, that when you try to dig yourself out of the storm, you're only digging yourself deeper? Why is that? It feels like we're rowing towards freedom. The truth is we are becoming all more the slave because the point of the storm is grace. And what is the point of grace? You can't save yourself. That's the gospel. That's what God's trying to teach you. And so don't fight against him by thinking you can save yourself when the whole thing God's trying to teach you is you're going to have to call out for help. When you can't see past the storm, your self-effort is all you've got. Do you notice the progression? I tried prayer. That didn't work. So I'll try to do it myself. What happens when that doesn't work either? The next response here is that, particularly with Jonah, you sink into spiritual despair. You sink into spiritual despair. In other words, notice what Jonah does when he sees the storm. Now, you need to understand, and our English translations are great, but in the Hebrew it's clearer that Jonah does this when he sees the storm. He's not already asleep. He sees the storm and then goes down. Look at verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Do you see that imagery? Why is Jonah asleep? He's so lazy. He's not lazy. He's really, really tired. I'll give you this. Running from God is a wearisome task. Amen? But do you want to know what's really going on with Jonah? He doesn't give a flip anymore. I don't care. Bring on the storm. I don't care, God. 
what? The storms of life will either draw you closer to God or they will send you further from God, but they will not keep you neutral. And for Jonah, his answer is, I'm going down below because I don't care. You say, back that up even more. Okay, I will. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And here's what Jonah says. Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah could have said, God, I repent. But he didn't say that. He said, throw me into the sea because I'd rather die then go to Nineveh. You want to kill me in a storm? Kill me. I prefer that alternate ending to this movie than seeing Nineveh get grace. It's despair. It's spiritual sleep. And some of you have been in a storm for so long or the recent storm has been so intense that you no longer have affections for God. You, you hear about the... You're still in church. You um, still consider yourself a Christian. But when you hear about the grace of God, when you hear about the glory of God, your response is... And you crawl back in your spiritual bed and go to sleep. And there are four signs. I actually have seven, but I'm only going to give you four. We don't have all day, right? Four signs of spiritual despair. And these are going to be some convicting questions for us. And I told you my prayer is that God would awaken us. And they're all out of Jonah's despair here. Here's the first question you need to ask yourself. All eyes right here. Do you care that your sin impacts the lives of others? Do you care that your sin impacts the lives of others? You see, did, you remember when we just read a few moments ago, Jonah knows that the storm is happening because of him. Do you remember that? But initially, he doesn't care. In other words, do you realize that the storm that was brought into your life because of your sin doesn't just impact your life? Have you stopped to think what your drinking problem, what your spending problem, what your negativity at church, what your attitude at work does not just to you but the people around you? Jonah has brought this storm into the lives of others, but he doesn't care. Why? He's in spiritual despair. Here's the second question. Do you have any compassion for the lost? Do you have any compassion for the lost? Here's where I get this. The prophet of God, who of all people ought to be concerned about people perishing, is on a ship where men are perishing, and he's asleep. The sailors are risking their lives for Jonah, and he won't even get out of bed. Do you see the irony in that? 
It is a word for the church and Christians today to wake up. Do you realize there are people around us right now in the South Metro who will die and spend eternity separated from God, but we have a nice, comfortable ship. Oh, God, wake us up that there are people whose lives are being affected by the fact that they do not know Jesus Christ and he's put you on this ship called the South Metro that they might be saved. Spurgeon says it this way, Satan seeks to lull God's prophets into slumber because he knows dumb dogs given to sleep will never do any injury to his cause. Translation, Satan actually loves that you're at church today as long as you're asleep. He has no problems whatsoever with you being here as long as you pull the cover back over your head and ignore what God's calling you to do. Here's the third question. Do you have a head of knowledge and a heart of stone? Do you have a head of knowledge and a heart of stone? I take this from verse 9. Look at it with me. Now Jonah's giving his response here to all the questions, and he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now read that again, and don't you see that as a very formal response? I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you see it? Jonah would get an A on his theology exam. The problem is he's living in rebellion to the very God he says he belongs to. He has orthodoxy. He doesn't have orthopraxy, which is just a fancy way of saying that what he knows has an impact on how he lives. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your theology is when you're on a ship headed to Tarshish but I got all my prophecy chart figured out. Big whoop. I'm a five-pointer. Some of you don't even know what that means. I can speak with the tongue of angels. Let me tell you what Paul says about that. I don't care if you have all knowledge in the world and you speak with the tongue of angels. If you don't have love, you're worthless for the work of God's kingdom. I don't give a rip what your theology is if your theology doesn't impact your life. Head of knowledge, heart of stone, spiritually asleep. Here's the fourth and final question is, do you have a desire to pray? Do you have a desire to pray? It's interesting in verse 6, the captain comes to Jonah it says, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call out. Just a little side note, this is totally for free, okay? So totally for free. Do you remember anybody else saying to Jonah, arise and call out? Sounds like verse 1, doesn't it? God is still speaking to Jonah through the mouth of a sailor. Which is kind of a really weird way of saying it, right? Through the mouth of a sailor. Arise and call out. Arise and 
pray to your God. And there is no record whatsoever that Jonah does. And I would submit that in the context of his spiritual despair, there is no reason to think that he would. And why is that? Because a Christian who is running from God will have neither the time nor desire to pray. Take a breath. This is so real. Here it is, right here. You're in the storm and you can't see past it. So you'll run to whatever promises you safety, but it can't deliver. So you roll up your sleeves and you dig your oars in deep and you try harder. That doesn't work out, and so you sink into spiritual despair. So what's the answer? We see the answer here at the end of the text, and we might say, all right, Jonah's going to come around. Aren't you kind of ready for that? We've kind of been hard on this guy, right? Come on, Jonah. Here we go. Do the right thing. It's not Jonah. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's not Jonah, it's the sailors. Do you see the irony here? The very people that Jonah did not want to experience the grace of God experienced it anyways. Which just means this, Christian, the mission of God doesn't rise and fall with you. God is not up there saying, oh, I don't have Jonah. What am I going to do? Help me, help me. No, God says, Jonah, I will fulfill my mission with you or without you. I have graciously invited you to be a part of this, but I can do it without you. That is a humbling word for Berean Baptist Church because God will do his mission. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? Can I vote for us and say, God, we're in. We want to be a part of this. To see people surrender and worship, which is the point of the storm. This is what the sailors do. They surrender to God's way. Namely, they stop rowing and they throw Jonah in the sea. It's not what they wanted to do, but it's what God was telling them to do. And so they did it. Secondly, they feared God, not the storm. This is a really important shift I don't have time to play out. But before they are afraid of the storm, get me out, get me out. But by the end, they are fearing God. In fact, that phrase, they feared the Lord exceedingly in the Old Testament, is a sign of genuine belief. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And not only that, now, now context after the storm is now past, it has ceased from its raging, they then offer a sacrifice and make vows to the Lord, which in an ancient Near Eastern understanding was an ongoing commitment of worship. So we know it wasn't like, okay, the storm's gone, now we can go on back to our life. It is, even after the storm has passed, we are still 
worshiping. Why? The point of the storm was to bring you to your knees to worship and surrender. And only then will you be able to see past the storm. And do you know why I know that this is the right response to the storm? Because it's not the only time this happens. The prophet of God asleep on a boat. The storm raging, the winds howling, people on the boat are scared to death, only it's not sailors, it's disciples. And they cry out, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And this prophet of God does not go down below in the boat. He walks to the front of the boat and says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves obey. And this prophet of God is not thrown into the sea because of his sin. He is nailed to a cross for ours. He is not willing to die to keep people from experiencing grace. He is willing to die so that you and I right now can. They did not cast lots at his feet to figure out who was to blame. They cast lots at his feet of the man who took our blame. Why? Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross so that in the storms of life you would not run to the idols of safety. You would not dig your oars in deeper. You would not slip into spiritual despair. Why? Because of him, you can look with eyes of faith past the storm and see the Father who loves you. Let's pray. God, there are some in this room who've been working really hard to save themselves. There are some in this room who have slipped into despair. God, you know our hearts. Would you come and surrender us? Would your spirit come and bring us low that we might look to you and um, renew a right spirit in us? Work in us by your amazing love and for the one here today who can't see past the storm Give them faith to see what they can't see. In Jesus' name, amen.